Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of It Starts With Attraction. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing ItStartsWithAttraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to ItStartsWithAttraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. There's a process to falling in love, and it starts with attraction. Join Kimberly Beam Holmes and her special guests as they discuss how to become the most attractive you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, or as we refer to it, working on your pies. We'll teach you how to have better relationships and become more attractive to others, and maybe more importantly, to yourself. It starts with attraction, and it starts now. I am really excited to be joined back again today by a previous podcast guest in Julie Beckerman. We actually did an Instagram live on Marriage Helpers Instagram last year and had a great conversation. I mean, Honestly, honestly, Julie, when it comes to the co-parenting space, I think that you are the best person that I have talked to because everything you said was actionable. It was relatable, practical, made a ton of sense. So I am very happy to have you back on and have more. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. I was really happy to be on too. I got so much. I was able to help a lot of people that came through here. Um, So I just thought it might be a good idea to see you again. Absolutely. Yes. And I'm glad we're having this conversation too, because a lot of the people listening, a lot of people in my audience, they, they are in a difficult marriage relationship, a co-parenting relationship, or, you know, they're divorced and still have to co-parent with the person they were previously married to. So you have been through this, right? You've had this experience. So can you tell us a little bit more about when, when you and your husband had divorced you know, and you had to co-parent together, how did you, first of all, take care of yourself? How did you kind of pick up your own pieces of what had happened through your marriage and divorce process? That's a really great question, actually, because, yeah, I think the first thing it's like, um, you know, I got very fit. (laughs) I don't know. I think a lot of people tend to do that. I really, you know, I did. I, I did kind of start taking care of myself. And the next thing that I did for me was start this business because the main thing that I needed to do to pick up the pieces was figuring out how I was going to survive this co-parenting relationship for the rest of my life. Um, and so, um, that's what I did. I kind of developed and figured out strategies to make this tolerable for me and for my daughter. Yes. And how was it for your daughter? How did your daughter handle the process of going from you and your husband being married to, to now you're in two separate places? Like what, what was that like for her? You know, um, so for her, it was actually a very long drawn out process. Unfortunately, some of these really, you know, yucky divorces can just get very drawn out. And she was at an age where kind of like, it wasn't immediate. She didn't really notice things happening. It was a little bit over time. Um, And so I think the impact on her was a little bit more subtle, um, which is also why I thought it was so important for me to get on top of this, 
because I wanted to, you know, I wanted to be able to help her through these little things. Sometimes the big things, you can see it, you can kind of deal with them, but these little things. So for example, I think for my daughter, the way that it kind of manifested was she became like the good little soldier. So because my ex and I were not working well together, she was the good one, right? She didn't want to make more problems for us. And now I would say what I do see is now that my ex and I get along a lot better, she actually is safer to come to us with some more real issues that she's dealing with. Yeah, that's really good. So one of the values of, of really um, having a more effective co-parenting relationship, of yeah. course. So yeah. you mentioned that now your co-parenting relationship is a lot healthier than it used to be. What would you say led to that shift? <laughs> I get asked that all the time. And, you know, I want to say, well, look, this is what I do for a living. So I got really good at it. And, you know, but at the same time, what I did was I do, I do follow my own principles and I really was consistent with them. Now, my ex, I don't know what he would say. And it almost doesn't really matter because ultimately what I did was I set myself up by being consistent and being the kind of quality co-parent that I wanted mm -hmm. in him was the kind of co-parent that I became. And I showed up that way all the time. And I think that sort of created a safe environment. It created an environment almost of trust, right? Uh, it was very clear how I was going to show up. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I used I <laughs> all the things that I teach. That's what I do. It's how I live it, and it works for us now. Can you can you kind of put that into a story, whether it's your own story or maybe a story of a client that you've worked with? So, tell about what the relationship was like between when it was not healthier when it was toxic between the two co-parents co and then how it evolved to something and what does healthy look like now? Yeah. So, um, you know, an example right, of a relationship when I'll use my own example, because we're talking about it, right? When we first were, were going through this, literally, if I set up, he would say down. If I said left, he said right. Everything was my fault. Everything was an issue. Um, anything that we had to work out, if there was one change to maybe the agreement that we had, we were going to change a visit or I, mean, it, I wouldn't even have ventured there. And my clients, that's what their experience is too. It's like, you don't even bother trying to co-parent because it just makes it worse mm -hmm. for you. Asking for just help with something really little becomes an opportunity for that person to take a bite out of you or hurt you in some way or try to use or take advantage. Um, that is not healthy, right? And so what ends up happening is when you're sort of faced with someone who's doing these things to you, you start to kind of posture and, and protect yourself. And now we engage in certain behaviors back and that just creates a bigger uh, conflict. And I was absolutely doing that. You know, there's a lot of things that I did in the beginning that were not conducive uh, to reducing conflict. Um, and so what I did over time, uh, COVID was actually a really big change because with COVID, all the rules went out the window. So whatever agreement we had, nobody and no judge, no courts weren't open. Nobody was listening to the issues. So now in this environment where um, I really had the opportunity to take full advantage of the situation, I could have, you know, overridden a lot of the scheduling things. I didn't. Hmm. I actually stood in my power. I stand at, you know, kept and continued co-parenting in the way that felt right for my daughter. Um, and that I think started to create a little bit of trust, right? That even in this environment where I could have caused harm, I did not. Mm -hmm. um, and so now what happens is um, 
the healthiness of this, we're not friends, we don't hang out, we don't chat every day. However, when there's issues that need to be dealt with, we can get in a room, we can talk to teachers, we can talk to doctors, and we can actually deal with the issue. So I would say the healthy co-parenting relationship now looks like a really good business hmm. with your child, I hate to say it this way, as the product, but right, your child's the bottom line. And being able to focus on that and put all the other stuff aside makes for a healthy relationship. Yeah, that's good. So you, what I'm hearing you say is the way that you really took the matters into your own hands and said, I'm going to, I'm going to do my part here because I can only control myself. And you did that by, this is going to sound ironic, I'm sure to some people in this situation, but you did it by building trust that you were going to (laughs) do what's best for your daughter, but also not punish your husband in the process. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's look, if you have the space and the two of you are in that space and I want more trust in this relationship, I don't need my ex to become different. I need to put more trust into that space. And I do that by acting in integrity. And I love what you said. Everything that has to do with dealing with co-parenting comes from you not about your ex or your husband or whoever you're co-parenting with. Yeah, that's good. And what is the way that you primarily work with clients? So when people come to you, what does that look like and what are you helping them with? So I'm helping them a lot with, I I work with clients one-on-one. So Zoom sessions looks a lot like a therapy session, but with um, a little bit of a different angle. Um, And I'm working a lot on communication techniques, right? So not just communication written, although a lot of co-parenting can happen in written word, but also just how we think about these things, because how we think about it is how we talk about it and how we talk about it is how our kids are going to hear it. So I help people really start to think about their co-parenting relationship from a much more powerful and less judgy place so that they can be authentic with their kids and not necessarily say things they don't want to be saying, which we know can happen. For sure. For sure. So what are the biggest pain points that people have when they're coming to you? And especially Mm -hmm. in the sense of what are, like, what are the frustrations they have with their spouse? So there's a couple, right? So I think the main pain points are about the lack of fair, Mm -hmm. right? So when, you know, their, their ex is not, um, doesn't follow the agreement or their ex is bad mouthing them to the kids or they're blaming them for every little thing or they use. Um, so for example, one client, her kid, you know, they would have pictures, uh, her kids would post pictures from the house on Instagram and she might have a bottle of wine open in the back. And then she would hear from her ex about that. She's an alcoholic with the kids, things like that. So issues of make, you know, it's, it's basically being bullied. Mm. Um, and I think the pain points are how do I get away from this bully when I have to actually co-parent with them for the yeah. kids? Um, and so there's issues around anything that would be an issue when you're married is going to be an issue when you're divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, so the pain points are really around how to get how to best support your kids when, you know, the person you're trying to do that with is really um, causing a lot of trouble for you. So does that answer the question? I'm not sure if I specifically got to the answer. Yeah, no, it does answer the question. And so then you, what does your system look like? Or what, a you know, don't, 
I'm not expecting you to give all the nitty gritty and details. And I'm sure it would be difficult to, because it's, you know, working with people one-on-one is where the magic and the effectiveness of what you do happens. But you mentioned before, like you practice what you preach, you did what you teach people to do. So what are some of those key things that you really leaned into that made a big difference for you that also make a big difference for your clients? So the first thing that I cover, I'll give this away, right? The first session um, that I have, I talk about recognizing common uh, forms of manipulation and then the first step of what we do with them. Because when we're dealing with someone who's difficult, so the main tool that I use is acknowledging and validating and observing and describing. And so what those two things are, acknowledging and validating is essentially um, letting the other person know that they've been heard. Doesn't mean I agree with you. Doesn't mean I like what you're saying. All I'm saying is, okay, thank you. I've heard what you had to say and I understand it. What that does is allows us to get away from about 90% of the arguments, right? Because what we're doing, so for example, when if you would get a message about how, um, you know, you didn't do your kids' homework, you sent them to school with holes in their clothes, and now they're eating crap and they went to bed super late and you're the worst mom in the whole world right? What are you going to do with that? Well, most of the time, what do my clients want to do? They want to respond and they want to answer that question. No, I didn't. They didn't have holes in their knees. They got the hole in during recess or right, et cetera, et cetera. What I will teach you is how to acknowledge what your ex is saying without having to defend yourself. So saying something like, I understand that's how you heard it. That's not what happened. Happy to clear the details. Right. And so I'm teaching people languages of how to. So what I utilize here is a lot of um, acknowledging and validating. So I don't have to get into the story. The second thing that I utilize a lot of is observe and describe language. And that allows me to say what I really feel without it being a judgment. So the difference of being like, you know, what you did was bad. Right. So if I'm trying to explain, let me give you an, an actual example there. Um, so for example, you have your ex decides to bring their new girlfriend to your kid's soccer game, right? Um, and that can be incredibly triggering for everyone. However, not a whole lot you can do about that. And so what, one of the things that I would kind of utilize here is I'm not going to get into a whole fight here. I'm not going to make this a big issue. I'm simply going to state by observing and describing when you brought your girlfriend to the game. What it did was made it difficult for our daughter to figure out where to go at the end of the game or or something like that. And then you leave it. So you kind of, um, so some of the tools are really around the communication and creating boundaries. So you're not getting caught up in those details. Um, And so the other, the other tool that I really utilize is again, kind of what I said, and there's different ways of doing this is figuring out and being very clear on the kind of co-parent that I want to be and never wavering from that no matter what crap gets thrown my way. So I think of it and I visualize it like a tree and I'm this tree and I'm anchored in and my ex might be the storm. Whatever storm comes by, I'm staying anchored in, in myself. And what that means is I don't play tit for tat. I don't punish him. I don't ask for negotiation. I always make the decision in the best interest of my daughter. And I never really factor in my feelings for my ex in that decision. Mm-hmm. And that is the bottom line of what I do. And then there's a lot of different ways in which, you know, to get around that. If that Absolutely. Helps. How long did it take you to get there to where you could really approach it as non-emotionally as you can? Because 
I'm sure you, and especially your clients, you're bringing in the hurt from the, the previous relationship. So it, yeah. it has to take work and be, you know, I don't really want to use the, the word hard, but it really shows an, um, an amazing amount of strength and growth when you're able to get to the place of doing what's best for your, for your daughter and try and be as non-emotional as possible. So what did that look like for you? Did you, how did you get there? Yeah. So it's like any change, right? Everything is a habit. And so if you have this person who is uh, right, your ex and your ex triggers you, right? That's kind of where you're right. Every time your ex triggers you, you're going to go into this mode of bringing that emotional pain and hurt. And so as you go through it and you're able in those little tiny ways to kind of think more clearly, sort of right, put the emotions aside. Every time you do that, it's like flexing that muscle. You're just getting a little bit stronger at it. So different things. So for example, the first issue might've been something around, you know, what days we were going to do visitation and that becomes emotional. And then you learn to kind of step back from it. And then it becomes about um, the girlfriend or, you know, the new girlfriend or the boyfriend, and that becomes emotional. So I think what I'm getting at is it's a process. It's not a one-time thing. Um, and it's right. It's little steps at a time. You get better at it. You just get better at it. Um, and like, it's like learning anything you, you kind of want to practice the right way to do it, know when you're doing it right. And then just put it on repeat. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's, I, I know that sounds really unsexy, but it is, it's a habit. It's when I'm triggered, here's my new response. And that's what I help work with people is creating what that new response looks like in a way that feels authentic, serves your needs, helps your kid, and then you can practice it and get better at doing Absolutely. it. Absolutely. What did your support system look like after your divorce? And was it there? Did you have it? And what adjustments yeah. did you have to make in your daily routine? I mean, were you working before or did you have to figure out a way to support you and your daughter after? Tell us more about that. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah. No, I was um I was staying home as a, a stay-at-home mom at the time. So I went back to work. Um I you know, I have my family, they're, they're wonderful, but a lot changed. You know, my friendships, the the people, you know, when I was married, we had a couple friends. And then, you know, all of a sudden, so even finding women that I could kind of connect with that were in similar spots, that was a big shift for me as well. Um and um you know, I think the other support you know, having a really good lawyer that you trust, that you feel safe with, and obviously having a coach, a therapist to process some of these emotions so you can start to put them somewhere. I always say you want to have, and, and I did, I absolutely, I, I believe in mental health. I'm in the industry. I, I invest in it. You know, you're, you, there are emotions with this and you're entitled to them. No one would ever say, don't, eh, don't, don't be upset about that. Like, no, this is hard. However, when you are dealing with co-parenting and divorce, your, your emotions do not belong with your ex anymore. So you need to find another place for them. Mm. It's not that you don't have them. You know, we're not shutting them off. We're just not acting on them in this particular space with your ex. Mm. That's really good. That's really good. And talk, talk a little bit more about you went from not working to working. So how did yeah. you... How did you balance needing that self-care and that time for you while also needing to be there for your daughter? Oh, it's a, I'm not sure. I think, you know, with what I do, it was always just kind of a consideration. So I, I started working for myself from home, doing all these things because my daughter was always going to be part of that mm -hmm. equation. 
Um, and the other piece of this, again, you know, what I did for a living, getting and learning techniques on how to manage a difficult relationship um, was kind of always for us. And it, right, it was kind of all blended together. So everything I was doing was really in support of, of that as well. So I'm not sure. I just kind of did it. Yeah. I don't really know how. You found a way. That part of it. <laughs> yeah. How do, how do we balance everything, right? We just kind of do. Yeah. What do you believe are important topics for co-parents to discuss and when should they discuss those things? Um, so I think any topic that, you know, I think you, any topic you can have a good discussion with is, yeah, go ahead. Um, I think when you discuss them, you know, I don't think there's a right answer to that. What I would say is there's definitely a time when you don't want to discuss topics. Mm. And I think the times to stay away from it is when it's no longer effective. If you can have a good conversation with someone and come, you know, why should you? Yeah. Talk, talk, talk all you can. However, if you are consistently running into a brick wall, having these conversations, trying to co-parent with someone who is just not interested in co-parenting with you, that's when I would say it's not a good time. Um, but some of the interesting co-parenting topics are always going to be around health, education, wellness, religion. And those are the topics that are actually going to have some support in the in the system. So if you get in a fight with your ex over your ex's decision to take your kids to McDonald's because you don't believe in fast food, there's not a court that's going to, they're not, they don't care. They're not getting involved in that. However, if your ex decides to take your kid to see, um, you know, to, to change their schools and put them in a private school without letting you know, that's something that's going to be heard. So um, I think also knowing that it's important that if it has to do with religion, education, health, and welfare, you need to be talking about it with your co-parent. Yeah. Those are absolutely going to fall under required. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. What about when in those topics? So any of any of those that you said, what about when there is conflicting parenting, either in those topics or or other things? You know, one person just has a different parenting style than the other. And now your child is yeah. is navigating between those two kind of house rules in the split of the custody. How do you how how do you deal with that? But also is there a way that you help your child deal with the two different sets of rules in households? Yeah. Yeah, this comes up a lot, right? Because um you know, it's really hard to get full consistency in two different households. Um, and I think, you know, you can agree if like, let's say, for example, your kid has, a, you know, is diabetic, you're going to agree on certain sure. foods and stuff in the house. Um, so I think the way that I deal with it is I think of it as like two religions. Neither one is right. Neither one is better. They're just different. And in the same way, your child can go to one a friend's house and know that they have to take off their shoes. And then in the other house, they can kind of go into their friend's fridge and kids are able to recognize different sets of rules and act accordingly. They don't go to school and jump on the tables, right? Like they know. Um, and so the way that I think is most important and helpful for your kids to present it is not showing it to them as one is right or wrong. They're both different and there's room for, for all of it. Um, and the same way, two religions, this is this, this is this one. And it's up to them to kind of, now they've got these options to choose from for themselves as they get older. Right. And that's how I, you know, you take what's happening and you make it okay for your kid. It's not, there's nothing wrong with having two sets of rules. They'll be okay. They'll live. They'll be fine. We have to make it okay for them. 
and not make these things that we think as issues into issues for them when they don't necessarily have to be. Mm, man, one of the examples that's come into mind with that too is even just like political party affiliations. And if one yes. one household was Republican and one was Democrat, um, you know, I love what you just said because the child could start feeling, especially depending on how each household talked about the other. You know, the child could start feeling a lot of, a lot of things. So your recommendation in that kind of situation, if you are the polar opposite on certain things, then, then your, the other co-parent would be to what, like, and, and really what I'm looking for here is what are the things you say? What are the things you don't say about the other parent when they're not there or about the things that they believe? Yeah. So, and, and this is, again, this is about observe and describe and acknowledging and validating. And those are the tools that we want to use here. It's okay that your dad, um, it's okay that your dad, I'm trying to think of an example here, doesn't make you clean up your room. That That's not what we do here. Here we clean up our room. Why? We clean up a room because it feels respectful. We want to make sure there's no bugs or whatever. I don't know why your dad doesn't have you do it. That's okay. That's what he does. And that's the language. It's not good. It's not bad. It's not right. It's just what he does or she does, right? Obviously in the other. And this is what we do. It's not good. It's not right. It's just, and this is why I prefer it. And you know what? It also, (laughs) having this kind of conversation with your kid, it really makes you check your own, your own choices. Do I do what I do because it's better or am I doing it just because that's what I've always done? So you start to actually go like, why do I need to make them do all these, whatever, right? Uh, just as an example. But I think that's the key there. You acknowledge and validate. And you and the other piece here too, is whenever your kids are coming to you with questions, you want to know where it's coming from. So are they asking you because they're just genuinely confused? Are they asking you because it feels weird? And we want to say, where is this coming from? What's going on for you? And actually address where it's coming from as opposed to just the details of the story. Mm-hmm. So I love that question specifically whenever you know, your kids come to you with something where you're kind of like, where is this coming from? What's this about? What's going on? And that kind of question to get a little bit more information. I think that's a really good question too. Yeah. I want to go back though and and ask a little bit further on. So we talked about, you know, what if there's just two different, two differences, not one is not right. One is not wrong. It's just two differences. But what if one of the co-parents really is doing things that are wrong. What if they are a pathological liar or, um, you know, any other sort of thing that actually like you as the mom would say, that is not a behavior I would want my child to emulate. How do you handle that? How do you do with that? Um, So I love that question, right? Because blame, especially with high conflict comes up a lot where the other parent's going to blame, you know, and then it's your, you know, dad or mom says it's your fault and it was you did this. Um, so the way that you address it when the behavior is you address the behavior, Mm. um, you know, I don't, uh, what was the thing? The pathological liar. I'm not sure why dad lies all the time. At the same time, that's not what we do. Right. We don't lie pathologically because, and then you fill in the blank, right? And I haven't actually thought about those detailed reasons yet, but there's right. We know there's good reasons not to, um, you know, same thing with blame. I'm not sure why your dad wants to blame me for this all the time, but we don't blame people. We don't blame people because it gives our power away and it makes them responsible for how we're feeling. And it's really nobody. Things just happen sometimes or whatever. Right. And you kind of go into your reasons. Um, But that's the that's kind of the formula for the phrase. That's what he does. That's not what we do. Mm. 
or that's what you do there. This is what we do here. And if it's a behavior like cursing at someone or yelling at someone that, you know, I remember a client said that, you know, her kid was, had told her he was uh, walking across the street with his, um, with his dad and the dad yelled like, you asshole, you know, like kind of mm-hmm. just like, and comes home and now repeats it. She's okay. Well, we don't, we don't yell curses at people because it's not nice. Right. right. And that's kind of, that's, that's how we would address it. Good. I like that. What about the children? So after the divorce happens, what are some of the things that kids really need in that time to to cope, to process their feelings after a divorce happens? I think they need a lot of acknowledging and validating. They need to be heard and they need to know that they're safe. You know, so much of the time we worry about, you know, um, what they're hearing and what's being, you know, what they're doing and they're going to, and it's ultimately your kid, we all, everybody at the bottom of it wants to just feel safe. So making sure they're understanding what it is, giving them the space and letting them know in all the ways and consistently that you are there for them. So I think uh, just to continue with that thought, the number one thing that kids need is to trust you with the truth. Mm -hmm. They need to know that they can come to you with all their feelings, with all their things, and it's going to be okay that they come to you. That allows for you to know that when your kids need you, they're going to come to you. You can't be on top of all of it and take care of yourself and start a new job and go through all this. You need Your kids need to know that there's an avenue to you and they need to trust you with their truth. So if they're coming to you and you're going, you know, well, why did your dad say that? Why, why are you repeating that? You're getting mad at them with their questions. Uh, guess what? They're not coming to you anymore. Mm-hmm. So how you respond to your kids when they come to you is going to be the most important thing. What about- and acknowledging and validating, just to repeat yeah. it, because it is huge. You cannot underestimate its power is one of the first ways to create that trust. With yeah. Them. What about when they come to you and maybe they have, like they're frustrated with, with their dad and, but they, they don't want to talk to him. They, you know, they don't have maybe that trust with the truth on the other side Yeah, and you don't want to necessarily step in and do it for them because that would validate the truth. But you also, it's a big deal and you want to encourage that this be handled. What are some of the things that you have seen work in that kind of situation? I hate to say it again, but I'm going to say acknowledging and validating, you know, understanding, you know, and validating that this makes sense and I'm here for you and here's what I would help you with. But you do you like when you're ready, how I think the other question there is, you know, if you're so if you're asking how to encourage the behavior, mm-hmm. how to encourage them to actually take the step. A great question here is how how can I best support you? Another one, if your kids are a little bit younger, is do you want to hear what I do when I'm feeling nervous about talking to someone? Here's what I would have done and asking that permission. But I think with kids, what we tend to want to do is tell them. Mm-hmm and direct them and you should do this and go and do this. Um, And that's not going to necessarily empower them. And it's not necessarily getting to the emotion. It's giving them a direction. um, But especially in this, this is emotional. They're coming to you. There's a lot of emotion. You really want to get to know what's underneath all of these things here. So that's what I would do. I would encourage and I would say, and I'm here for you. And here's, here's how you can think about it. And let me know if I can help you. But it's not up to me to decide that my child has to talk to their other parent. Unfortunately, that's between them and their other parent, right? That's their relationship between the two of them to kind of figure out I'm just a supporting member at this point. That's right. As I'm listening to you talk, I am just picturing it really is it really is a mental separation of the relationship you used to have in the marriage and just seeing it as two different 
family units. And you work together with that person in the best way possible for the good of the of the child. But you can't control them. They really can't control you. And you just work to work. You work to work together in the best way possible. But it really is a mental shift. It's a complete mental shift. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's about, it's making it business. This is not personal. It's not emotional anymore. This is business, right? And you want to think about it from business because we're taking the emotion out of it. And we have a goal here. The goal is to serve the best interest of our child. And what do we need to do to get there? And certainly the emotions are not helping us get there. As we, as we wrap up co-parenting and making it work, kind of everything we've talked about today, what would you say are the do's and the don'ts that you would leave our listeners with? Sure. So the first do is to do you in always, always. So this goes back to my point. You're the tree. You are always the tree. It doesn't matter what storm your ex brings your way. You are standing in your space, being the person that makes sense to you and is within integrity. The second thing is whatever you're dealing with, this is a business, know your goal. Don't be in a conversation, just winging it. Understand why you're in that conversation. What is the point of this and what are we trying to resolve? Otherwise, that's when we don't know the goal, we get pulled into 75 different conversations about what happened 45 years ago. Um, And the next do would be, again, um, something else I said earlier, but focus on the emotions. When your kids are coming to you with a story, you know, mom said that you did this and where's this coming from? What's going on? They're upset about something. They're angry. They're frustrated. They're confused. We want to address the emotion. They are looking to feel safe. They don't need all the details. They don't need to read your agreement. So some of the don'ts um, is don't focus on fair. This is not about fair. Forget about it. It's not about making, this is not about, well, he does this, so I'm going to do this. This is about you're doing you. Focus on being effective for your kid. That's a big mindset shift. It's not about fair. It's about effective and effective to the goal, which is your child. Um, And then uh, the last don't, same thing. Just don't get caught up in the story. Uh, If your ex has a version of the story, right, pathological liar, well, you did this and that's just not your version of it, learn the tool of acknowledging and validating so you can dismiss their story and hold authentically to your own, right? You don't necessarily have to get them to see things your way. You need to be able to move them off of it so you can focus on the goal. And I can teach you a technique for that. Julie, I love, again, loved our conversation today as well. Lots of great takeaways. I took some notes that I'm going to recap in the key takeaways that I do at the end of every episode. But for people who are listening and saying, you know what, I, I, I hear you, but implementation is hard. Where can they find you and, um, and what does it look like to get started in working with you? Yeah. So I actually have like for this specifically, I have a really great six week program that is, it's not going to solve it, but it's going to really get you started. You're going to start to see how this can be better. Um, and I offer an intro session so that people can try and they can kind of try the one session. If they like it, we can finish up the program. Um, really powerful. I've been using it for a while and really, really effective. Um, and if you want to reach me at this point, I would say you can please just email me, but 
if you are listening and you're on Instagram, please follow me. My Instagram account was hacked and deleted. So I'm kind of starting over so I could use, you know, all the support I can get. Um, and please reach out to me there as well. It's coach Julie Becker. Absolutely. And we'll include the links to all of those things in the show notes, your, especially your website, which is super easy to navigate. I'm looking at it real quick now. And as well as your new Instagram. So we can hopefully help you build back, build back up some of those followers. Excellent. Thank you so much, Kimberly. So thank you, Julie. I enjoyed our conversation and having you on.